It's time to stop digging those ditches and listen to the career bitches. Your resident career bitches. Your girl's Friday for advice, amazingly useful and amusing banter for anything and almost everything related to your career. They cut through the bullshit and all the workplace drama. Now give it up for these mamas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, welcome back to Career Bitches. Hey, everybody. I think everyone's going to be super excited today because we have our favorite person, Jennifer, back for our third season, and we couldn't be more excited. Yay, Jennifer's back. We missed you. Hey, y'all. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, yeah, good. We're, I'm super psyched. I feel like we haven't talked in forever, like the three of us. I know Jennifer and I sometimes have a little text convo um, on WhatsApp and just trying to keep up with her, what she's doing. But um, I'm excited for all three of us to talk together again. That's fun. Been a long time. I know. It feels really familiar though, seeing the your two faces. It's like, yeah, I remember this. It feels like this comfortable, comfortable feeling. Ah, that's, that's so nice to hear. I know. We don't hear that all the time. So <laughs> nice. Other guests don't come on and tell us that. So you made us feel so good. Um, and we're gonna like literally catch up because we want to hear about all the amazing things Jennifer's been busy with. Um, and she's gonna share some good stuff with everybody that's looking to find a career that's more meaningful to them or, you know, make a pivot to something more rewarding. Cause we hear that a lot from clients. So I know mm-hmm. this conversation is going to be amazing as always, but uh, before we do that, we have a bitch about something a little different today, not hair again, but plastic <laughs> and Ziploc <laughs> bags particularly. So what do we got? I mean, I think we should first say this is not specific to Ziploc brand, although it might be. So let's just say resealable bags that um, aren't always that resealable, guys. It's a, it's a thing. I'm, we've all, I'm sure everyone's, everyone listening has said like, fuck yeah, my bag does not reseal. It's not that easy. (laughs) It can lead to disaster. And why are there so many different ones? Like (laughs) the one that always breaks is the one with the little red plastic thing on top that you have to drag across. And it, it always breaks like the second time you touch it. See, I never, I never get that one for that, for that reason. I think I did it once and was so sad to like get through the entire box of them. I actually had an incident happen just the other day with, it wasn't like, with a resealable, it was with a bag of frozen fruit that was supposed to be like resealable, like with a, mm. a Ziploc. And I opened it and apparently like the whole zipper thing, like stayed on one side of the bag. So it wasn't like a two-part sealing situation. And I thought for some reason, I thought it had sealed and I like pulled it out of the freezer and like the fruit went all over the floor. And oh no! so, you know, I mean, I put it back in cause you're going to rinse it anyway. Right. Right. But, um, <laughs> I don't so. know, dude, That's, <laughs> I'm I feel sure like, your floor is clean. Yes. 
That's yes. maybe another conversation. But anyway, <laughs> this is about the failure of the zipping function. <laughs> so it's we'll not talk, sealing. We'll talk about How my hygiene another time. <laughs> okay, we will. That'll be the next time that you and I have a conversation in a few weeks. But why? Yeah. Well, how can it be sealing? If it's not sealing, it's not sealable at all, let alone resealable. Well, exactly. And here's the thing, like we buy, so I will get on my, um, my environmental soapbox for a second and say, plastics are bad, like in general, like the amount of plastic that we use and we throw into the landfill and that shit doesn't decompose for like 10,000 years or whatever, like whatever it is, it's a really like way longer than like our great, 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 great grandchildren will be alive for it. But if you're gonna use it, like, shouldn't it fucking work? <laughs> you know, like what if, if not, like, what's the benefit? We're just buying, we're literally just buying stuff to throw away. That seems so incredibly wrong, like almost immoral if you really want to know how I feel. And I'm pretty sure you all want to know how I feel. Well, I still can't figure that out either because we've been trying to reduce it. And I always ask myself, why hasn't this changed? Why are so many things still made of plastic? Mm -hmm. Is it really not possible to make these other things with all the advances we have now? Yeah, maybe it's expensive, but a lot of these companies can do it. So it also makes me angry because um, you'd think if we could do away with it, it makes such a difference. And right. I don't know how. If I knew it's how, hard. I would do it. It's big plastic. It really is. I mean, yeah. wasn't it like a couple of years ago where like it was like this big thing where it was like, you know, we've all been told that you can recycle plastic. And so everyone's uh -huh. like, oh, well, you can recycle it. So I feel good about it because I can recycle all this plastic. And it's like, well, maybe you can't exactly recycle all that plastic. And it's like, we were told all this time that we could. And so it's like this kind of way to feel better about our plastic guilt. And it's like, it turns out that was just a, a big lie promoted by big plastic. And um, it's true. Yeah, it's true. I did an interview with this guy who like had all the ins and outs of like plastics recycling. He worked for the EPA or something. And um, those little numbers on the plastic like indicate like what is actually recyclable. And it turns out like of all of the numbers, there are like only two numbers that are like consistently recycled and it depends on your city. And here in Baltimore, the word on the street is that, you know, we have recycling bins. Recycling comes, you know, every week to pick up our stuff. But um, the rumor is that that shit just goes straight into the garbage, that they don't actually have the capacity to recycle like the vast majority of stuff that people put in their recycling bin. So that's upsetting. And get this, you know, that stuff, you can buy stuff now that it says it's compostable. Like if you go get a coffee and the lid, maybe the lid says like, this is, this is a, this is compostable. That, that doesn't mean you can like throw it in your garden compost guys. It means like it can be composted like on an industrial level. Like it requires like industrial composting for that shit to break down. So again, like just a failure of advertising or that's best case scenario, right? Jennifer, like what's worst case? They're just yeah. straight up lying They're to us. They're just outright, outright mis and disinformation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, I know yeah. it makes me want to start 
a new enterprise to fix it, but I don't know how. Well, number one, I'm not there in the United States, but there's got to be a way, right? If there were more companies trying to figure out or people trying to figure out how to make that happen, right? Like just make more plastic recycling centers that can actually recycle it or compost, make industrial compostable more sites like that. You know, it's like, it's not that it can't be done. Yeah. It's frustrating. It is. I think this is actually weirdly a good segue into our conversation with you, Jennifer, because what I think needs to be the solution is has to start with policy that is enforceable. And I know that's something that you're interested in doing now that you are a graduate, right? You recently com- completed your master's program. Yes. I did. Yes. That's so amazing. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. And you survived. Um, I'm I'm still a little bit in a, um, a little bit of a daze coming off of the constant, um, all that social work grad school entails. And so I'm still a little bit, um, stepping down off of that, but I'm, yeah, I know you want to take some, you should take some time. I know you were, you're feeling antsy. I get it. But, um, I don't, I think it's good to I think it's good to have a break. That's just my. Yeah, I definitely did want a break just because I think especially with social work, there are so many paths you can take with Mm. a social work degree. Like it really does open a lot of doors for folks because there's not just like this one straight path that you take when you're, when you've gotten that degree, you can take it any number of paths. And as someone who's interested in a lot of different areas. Um, I could see myself going down any number of them. And I think when I was just wrapping up, it's like, if you feel that extreme urgency to just get a job immediately, I could see myself just taking like any random job and then like finding, realizing like a couple months in like, whoops, that wasn't exactly really what I wanted to do. That was more just like feeling pressure to get a job immediately. And Mm -hmm. I'd like for my career to be a little more aligned with my true passions. And so I need the time to, to figure it out before I just start throwing resumes at everybody. <laughs> That'll save you time too, because that's, that that's is true in the long run. I appreciate that reframe. Thank you. <laughs> Anytime. That's why we're here. Can you I tell only, us? yeah. Oh, go ahead. Ian. I was going to say, I only know this because my husband has been applying for jobs um, like for gosh, almost the past year now. And I, so yeah, it's time consuming and he's a little more, he has less patience for it than I have had. I think in one year, Marcel, I had, I'd applied for like 175 jobs or something like that. Um, and he's like, like one or two a week is like max for him. And like, even that's probably too much but it is time consuming. So it is choose wisely. Yes. (laughs) Nobody likes it. Um, But that said, would you feel comfortable Jennifer sharing with us a couple of the paths that you're considering or where your passions are taking you? Cause I think, like I said earlier, this is something that 
a lot of people we talk to are trying to figure out when they search for something more fulfilling in their work and are kind of sick of the corporate path they've been on, let's Mm -hmm. say. Yeah, for sure. Um, I can give like, I can kind of start with just kind of a broad overview of like the two main paths that social work usually sets people up for. Um, Like even within most social work graduate programs, students by their second year, if they're doing a two-year program, have to choose either what is called like a clinical concentration path or uh, an organizational leadership or sometimes called like macro path. And um, choosing either path in school doesn't necessarily tie you to following that like your whole life, but it does kind of give you more of a concentrated background in either of those two areas. So like a clinical would be more of like, you could be a therapist or work like in a community mental health clinic, like directly with um, with people with mental illnesses or um, just something along those lines. And I think a lot of people, when they think of social work, also think of um, like social services and like the foster care system and that kind of thing. And that mm-hmm. is one thing that social workers can do, but it's just like one, one thing among many. And then like the the macro track is more like a, a leader of an organization or um, you could get involved in like the policy space or program development or those kind of more working more on like the structural systems that impact individuals. So um, there's definitely a lot of overlap between the two. And it, it frustrated me at times for them to be like separated so cleanly because obviously like they complement each other and inform each other. And so I think it does a disservice sometimes to, to separate them. But anyway, the, the, I actually did the clinical track because I wanted to just confirm for myself if that was something I did or didn't want to do. And that's a hard thing to do once you're like out of grad school to get that experience, like with clients and mm. learning some of those skills. So I'm glad I did that route. And I think I will actually get my clinical license at some point, but right now I'm just kind of more drawn to the policy space and working on more of the systemic level issues that are kind of making a lot of people seek out clinical treatment in the first place. Cause a lot of people, contrary to what the U S kind of promotes is that being like a pick yourself up by your bootstraps and it's all (laughs) down to your individual um, failings or something. It's really a lot of system level things that make people have to seek out help or have issues in the first place. And it's kind of that whole throwing out the starfish back into the sea analogy thing. It's like, let's maybe try to figure out why all these starfish are washing up on the shore. So that's kind of where my mind kind of naturally goes right now. And so I'm looking to get more involved in trying to answer some of those bigger questions and fix some of those bigger problems. So maybe it'll kind of trickle down and have more of a, a broader impact on folks. So um, that's kind of where I'm at. My mind is at, but um happy to answer other questions about like what other people I know are doing or what else social work can open up for people. But I was just really drawn to social work in the first place because it does have so much of a range of things that you can do. And I'm not someone that can be pinned down easily. And so it's nice to know that 
oh, I can do this policy stuff for a while. And then if I decide I want to kind of work more with clients, I can do that later. And, or I could do something that's a little bit of both or, you know, whatever. So that, that really suits my, I think, personality a little, a little better. Do you think you have commitment issues, Jennifer? (laughs) (laughs) I don't actually think I have commitment issues. I think I just, um, I'm highly skilled in a lot of areas and Mm -hmm. and I like to apply my skills to a range of products uh, and situations. And um, I just kind of like variety. No, I think I interview practice. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) I like, I like having options. And I think that's what I hear you saying that you want to be able to, you know, do a lot of different things potentially depending on like how your career evolves and your interests evolve along with it. Um, it does seem like it, it, I mean, this is all news to me. I, I think I knew very little about the path, like the social work path other than like you mentioned, um, you know, the foster care system, and maybe like schools and counseling, which has really only been my experience with social workers. Um, and they kind of like, you kind of get a bad rap, right? If you say like, oh, I'm a social worker, people are like, oh, you help take kids away from their parents. Cool. Yeah. Right? That's a, um, a, sadly, a, I think a common association people might have. And I mean, to be fair, like a lot of other professions, social workers have been involved in some not so great periods of our history, but, um, there's also a lot of really, a lot of value to, um, to the way that social workers look at the world in terms of like, there's like this thing called like the person and environment. So it's like looking beyond the person to looking at like how all the different things in their environment shape them and affect them. And I like that kind of more holistic approach that social workers are, are trained to, to look at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think what you were saying about like combining those two paths makes a lot of sense because if you are trying to help with the people that are affected by a lot of the systemic issues you're talking about, how can you do that if you don't understand from like a counseling side or, you know, um, the typical path or the clinical path, like we're saying, we're more familiar with you can't really do that without that experience, right? Because I feel like you'd be, if you didn't come from this training and background, then you'd be relying, I mean, yeah, you could rely on other people that have that clinical training, but you're going to be a lot more effective if you understand that piece too. If you're trying to help those people, how can you, you know, how can you be effective if you can't truly understand? Yeah, 100%. I think a lot of probably problems with some policies is that you've got these people and with really zero knowledge or firsthand experience of what these people's lives are like, or what they actually themselves might want or need just trying to like, I don't know, from their ivory tower kind of say like, here's what these people need. And so we're going to do these things. And it's like, well, maybe you should talk to those people about what they actually want or what they think they need or have some lived experience or something. So for sure there needs to be crosstalk between the, between the two kind of different focuses. 
Like we literally just talked about this, Marcel, like two episodes ago, maybe um, how, you know, coming in and saying, you know, I'm going to solve the problem of this group that I don't belong to. And I don't understand um, is just, you know, it's fucked up. <laughs> um, and, you know, we talked about the need to kind of listen and shut up when it's not, you know, when we don't have skin in the game, like we can be advocates, but we can't. Um, it, I think it's a mistake. And I think that's what I'm hearing you saying, Jennifer, that we cannot pretend to start solving some of these big problems when, you know, we're just pulling like information out of nowhere and we don't, and we're not informed and we're not doing our homework. Um, and maybe we don't even know, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of policymakers out there just don't care. Right. And they're, they're making statements, you know, they're making policies to make themselves look good and they're not actually trying to help people. So I'm wondering, mm. I'm wondering like how many, do you know, like, could you, are there like, social workers who work specifically like on the hill like are are they are social work social workers like integrated into our like our policy making system like from a federal level like is that something that happens there i don't um I'm not good with specifics i'm better with like general overview but i know that either currently or in the past, there have been um, social workers serving in federal and state um, roles. A lot of the people who were involved, like in like some of the like New Deal stuff back, mm. back then were social workers who developed a lot of those like programs that helped, um, that helped with that transitional period. Um, so there are people working in like those direct policy spaces hmm. yes and there are a lot of social workers in just different roles that you wouldn't really think of as typical social work roles but they're just like social workers working for like a lot of different nonprofits or think tanks where they help to create products to like inform the policymakers, you know or develop programs um like there's a lot of ways that like public policy in particular overlaps with social work. So they're in all kinds of places that you wouldn't really know to look until you start looking. But I've looked at a lot of, as I've looked for <laughs> roles or like looked at organizations, I kind of sometimes look at the current team or whatever. And it's, it's always cool to be like, Oh, like all these people are actually have a social work degree or a social work background. And mm. it's always kind of cool to see. Do you find that there's like among your classmates, was there a pretty even split as to where people are trying to go, like clinical versus policy, or is it unclear still? Um, in my program, and I think in most programs, there is kind of a clear leaning towards the clinical space. It's um, it's a little uneven with that distribution. I think it's starting to grow a little more, the macro space. It hasn't always been as emphasized as much or um, maybe supported as much for whatever reason. But yeah, I, I, I think, I don't know what my actual programs, you know, percentage with each was, but I, I definitely 
noticed like with the class schedules, there were always a lot more um, clinical classes than there were the macro classes, but I was glad to be able to take, um, we had a chance to take electives and I took electives that were the macro electives and I enjoyed being able to do that. So nice. And one reason I ask is, oh, sorry. No, I was finished. Um, was just thinking about the last few years and I still feel like we haven't seen the full effect of our mental health crisis, you know, post pandemic, um, among all ages of people from young to old. And Mm -hmm. I still feel like, you know, people talk about it, but it's not, there, there wasn't much planning into how we're going to handle it. And I feel like we're seeing glimpses of issues with it, you know, say like among teens or like the elderly, but I wonder if that's one reason too, why more people are still, would still go that route, right? And maybe instead of the macro side, because I feel like there is a huge need for it and people are always looking for that support and it's not always easy to come by. That makes sense. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I I think that could definitely be part of it. I also want to say, if I I'm pretty sure, like even before the pandemic, it just has always been not. I don't want to say always, but it's kind of. I don't want to. I don't really know why, but I do feel like some programs just emphasize that that focus more. Um. And yeah, I think if I have said anything else, I would just be making stuff up. So I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to um, elaborate on that too much, but I, I think it's interesting too, because part of what makes me lean more macro right now is also not necessarily traced to the pandemic, but like current, the current like political climate and how I see a lot of really bad policies being put out by a lot of states and it, it really worries me. And so I feel like we need more social work informed people working on some of that stuff. It feels like there's a lot of really urgent fires to be put out right now. And so I don't know, it's hard to say like one side is more important than the other, but I, to go back to the whole thing of like how each side informs the other, like maybe some of, maybe all these people wouldn't have such trouble finding help if, if some of the upstream problems weren't there creating their problems in the first place, or, I mean, just the whole way that insurance works makes it hard for people to get help. And Oh my God, all, that, that really all, should have been yeah. our bitch. Can we have a do-over? <laughs> Rewind you can have a second bitch. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah. I've recently been dealing with the insurance issue and trying to find, like trying to find a therapist that will take insurance is not easy. And it's, I mean, and it's expensive to pay for therapy out of pocket. Um, It's, you know, it's obviously it's money well spent, of course, but, um, you know, at least in Baltimore, I can tell you like therapists are charged like $150 an hour. And if you want to like engage in like a, a regular course of therapy, like that's not an, you know, it's usually like once a week, right? Like 
that's a, a good chunk of change for most people. Um, yeah. and it's, you know, like most people just don't have that amount of discretionary income to like quote unquote, throw away on, you know, talking to someone and I don't, I'm not diminishing, diminishing it at all because I'm a huge advocate of therapy. Um, and, um, you know, again, like if you need it, like, and you have, you know, if you have the money, like great, like spend it, but most people just don't have that luxury. And it's, um, and it's unfortunate because I do think there is a lot of lingering trauma from the pandemic that we haven't addressed that is, you know, still shows up in the workplace, um, in so many different ways. And it's hard to, it's hard to pin down, at least for me personally, I feel like it's been very hard to pin down exactly what was so hard about it, even though I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, but there, I feel like there are just like large chunks of time that I don't fully remember during the pandemic. And that's a little disturbing. But that is what, you know, what to bring kind of what both of you have been saying together, you know, as Jennifer, as you were talking earlier and saying, it's not just the pandemic. I think what's true is it made me think there it's taken so long for there to be stigmas associated with mental health removed and it's still a problem, right? Because I mean, I even see kids that are like afraid of it and I'm so glad it's changing, but it just should not be that way. So right. Even before the pandemic, that was a problem. And now I just feel like it's, all these things have compounded. And like you said, Anne, it's hard to identify what was going on or how we got through it or the damage that's been done. We might not even realize quite yet. And then to see that people don't have access to that help is just ridiculous or just plain old healthcare. And I'm seeing it quite strikingly because like where I live, the government supplements the stuff. So when you, for example, like I know somebody had their elderly parent that had a stroke and had to be in the hospital and then in the facility, the government was paying like for, I think two thirds of the hospital bills and the stay bills. And I think it was for like six months up to six months in a year. Wow. They'll pay for that. And it's still less expensive than the US, <laughs> right? It's like $3,000 or something, you know, uh, a month, which is just so much less than it is in the US. And you just think, how is that even possible? Like, I mean, it's disgusting, right? Because you're like, why are all these other you know countries able to do this and agree that this is the right thing to do? We need to pay to help people when they need help because people can't afford it in our country. So backwards when it comes to that. Well, I think this goes to your point, Jennifer, that, you know, we're a pick yourself up by your bootstraps country. Um, and so we have kind of eschewed like the socialized medicine and insurance. And I'm like, that's such a loaded term. And I don't even think it's true. I think, you know, these are like part of the, should be like part of the infrastructure of our, of our country, like 
paying for the health and safety of all of our citizens and the people who live here on our, you know, on U.S. soil. So, I mean, that's, I think that's what you're talking about, right? Like these are like the big, like the big policy problems that are like the big upstream problems that are affecting people's ability to get help when they need it. Because like the insurance situation alone is, seems like unsolvable. Yeah. I feel like there's like such a huge lack of empathy too with a lot of people. And I was talking to someone the other day and they were talking about how during the previous administration, like, and I maybe still, but a lot of like the quote unquote, like social emotional learning stuff that is often in schools to like help give kids kind of some more skills and resources to deal with some of this more um, emotional or mental wellness type things. And I feel like some people, like if they haven't experienced any kind of mental health challenge themselves, it's like, you know, you're, you're depressed, just do this. This is what I do and you'll be fine. Or, you know, just exercise more or (laughs) eat this. And um, it's like, people don't realize, um, or like, I don't know, I'm able to do these things and why can't you do them? And it's like, I don't know, you try to be in their same shoes and then you say that to me. Um, Right. It's just a huge lack of awareness of what other people deal with and assuming that just because you've been able to do something so easily. um, I don't know, you were talking about the therapy and like what a huge challenge it is to be able to like self-pay for therapy if you don't have it covered by insurance. And actually some people, even when they have insurance, have trouble affording it because they can't even afford the copay. I had a client who was, when I was transitioning her and ending my internship, it was hard for me to find someone to transition her to because the copay was going to be really hard for her. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, I've heard people say like, you know, just don't buy your Starbucks or just don't do this. And then you'll be able to do it. And it's like, oh my gosh, y'all, like, this is not Starbucks problems here. <laughs> This is like something else going on. So it's just, I wish people would kind of have a little more um, consideration of what other people are going through and not just assume that everyone's life is just like theirs and should be able to do it just the way that they've done it. I don't know. I feel like we're finding a lot of new things to bitch about as this episode continues. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. I, I do think that there is like a fundamental lack of empathy um, built into our country's culture. And it surprises me in a lot of ways because I, and you know, I, I grew up in a household full of empathy. And so I, like, I think, I feel like I'm always trying to put myself into other, in other people's shoes and understanding that my experience can't be mapped on to anyone else right? You can't extrapolate and say like, well, I was able to go to college and work four jobs and look what I did. It's so great. Um, But I'm, you know, everyone's coming from their own places and their own abilities and their ways that they're able to um, experience the world. And I, I do think that like communications theory and what you're talking about, Jennifer, um, like social work um, studies are really closely aligned because as a comm major, we talk about like how the ways that we communicate inform how we think about ourselves and how we interact Mm -hmm. with others, right? 
but how, but that communication itself is informed by our environment, by the experiences that we've had. And so really, I think what we're talking about is different pieces of this holistic puzzle of being human and how, like, how do we prioritize, um, like the wellness of everyone and not just ourselves. Yeah. Very well said. I don't know. And that is a problem we need to solve (laughs) another day. That's an excellent (laughs) question. Yes. It is an excellent question. How do we, Anne? (laughs) Man, if I had the answer to that question, I would be like a guru or like start a cult or like be the CEO (laughs) of a company or I don't know. I I think I'd be making a lot more money. Maybe you just need to start a yoga retreat. Oh my around God. this idea. There you I, go. Look, I wish yoga was the answer. That's such an easy answer. Yeah. Why it's don't you the answer just do to a yoga? lot of things? I used to be very anti-yoga, really. Then I'd be like, oh, it's too slow for me. That's why I do Pilates. And then I started it last year, probably, or during mm-hmm. the pandemic, I guess, at home, but then with a teacher last year. And it's man, better with a teacher. it makes a difference. But just even doing it like 10 minutes a day. In, and like you think about all these terrible things wrong in the world and bad people we're talking about mm-hmm. policies. Yoga can fix a lot of things. So maybe these people need yoga is what I'm thinking. <laughs> I mean, Congress I'm a big fan. needs to yeah. go do yoga. Congress 100% needs to do yoga. You first heard that here <laughs> on Career Bitches. So we're taking credit. If any of you are in Congress and you go do yoga now, you're welcome. I love it. We should find, wait, what's the hashtag? We'll come up with something. Yeah, we'll We'll get back to you. Uh, Clearly (laughs) we're not, um, we're not brainstorming here. (laughs) Nope. It's it's the end of the week almost. So um, I'm out of ideas. Yeah, but I feel like there's a was, clever potential there though, with like, you could use like the name of some particular Asana and like right. it on to Congress or something, but I'm not quite there. <laughs> Congress Shavasana. Yeah. Something like Today. that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Next but time yeah. Jennifer's on, we'll, we'll have something for you. Oh my gosh. We're clearly not marketing geniuses. <laughs> Not today. Just not, not just not immediately. We we are, but it just takes us some time. I know. Takes That's time. Okay. This is what this is also why I know I'll never be a stand-up comedian because you've got to like you've got to have that shit on the tip of your tongue, like on the spot or I don't know. I feel like stand-up people, they rehearse a lot. So they've rehearsed. Improv maybe, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. Don't don't sell yourself short. You could still do stand-up. <laughs> yeah. Okay, wait. So this is a real thing. And I just heard about it. There is a stand-up comedy club in New York. I think it's in Brooklyn. Of course it's in Brooklyn. And all of the comedians are 100% nude that go on stage, like no socks, no shoes, no service, like for sure. Like, but, and, and the first two rows in the show are clothing optional. So as a participant, you could also be naked um, in rows in the splash zone in rows one or two. <laughs> um, but I sh- so I saw this on Instagram, of course, because that's where I find all of my interesting news. And I um I I shared it with my husband 
And he was like, he's like, yeah, I think you should do that. (laughs) (laughs) But I almost feel like it might be easier to be naked during like to do a stand-up set naked because then there's like literally nothing to hide. Like you've like, there is nothing, there's no place to go, but up from there. See, I, I mean, don't I know. feel like I'd be a lot less anxious about the like stand up part because I'd be so anxious about just not having any freaking clothes on. See, <laughs> exactly. That's true. It's like everyone's worst fears standing in front of a crowd. Exactly. Without their clothes on. But then the question is, do you ha- still have those nightmares after you've actually done it in real life? Or do they go away? They either go away or they get so much worse. That's my guess. See, that's what I don't want to <laughs> test. Like, no, but- <laughs> I don't need worse nightmares. <laughs> All right. Well, if you try it, you have to report back. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely on my list of things to do. Never. <laughs> Listeners in Brooklyn, call in and let us know what this experience is like. <laughs> For real? No, I would love to know. Yeah, there yeah, was if a whole interview. Ever seen this, we gotta know. I think it was in. I want to say it was in like the New York Times. I'm pretty sure it was a New York Times story, like one of their Instagram stories. Well, now everyone's going to go look it up. So they should. Yeah. Yeah. There were photos. There was free advertising. (laughs) (laughs) You're providing free advertising for the comedy club. (laughs) Yeah. I don't remember the name of the comedy club, but I do remember that I saw it it on Instagram. People can find it. (laughs) I think there'll be a lot of, a lot of confusion. No, I'm sure not many not a of those. Lot of competition. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Well, that's a good place to end today's conversation, I think. But I'm very <laughs> excited that Jennifer is going to be coming back and talking to me in a few episodes. So come back I'm for more. Y'all. That. Yeah, me too. Awesome. It was so great to have so you. So great to have you. Where it was are, so great where to are chat you? with you all today? Where are you still? So where are you living now? Can you, do you want to tell us? You don't have to tell us. I'm still in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, but I am starting to look for remote jobs. So people who have remote jobs and are looking for a really amazing social worker turned policy analyst. Uh, I'm your girl. Yeah. And we can attest because we worked with her that she is freaking amazing. So We'll keep our eyes out for you for real. Thank you. I'm Um, starting to look for sure. Can I ask you how far are you from Paris Island? Where's Paris Island? South Carolina. Like Hilton Head? No idea. Like a secret uh, island. I'm randomly guessing, but maybe three hours. Oh, shit. That's far. All right. Well, I'm going to be in Paris Island, South Carolina next month for a few days, but that sounds like it's pretty far from you. Mm-hmm. We still haven't met in person. Isn't that wild? I feel yes. like we have, but um, I know I it does know. feel like we have, which is nice. That's I don't a think, nice feeling. Yeah. I haven't met Jennifer in person either. Crazy. We'll have to make that happen. We'll fix that. Maybe you, not by the um, time of the next podcast, but when do you someday. come to the U.S. next? Oh, this says four hours in. Oh shit, that's, that's far. Who far. is South Carolina that big? Goddamn, I had no idea. It is. It's not super big, but I'm like up in the northwest corner of the okay. state. So, like, if you're on the coast, then it's like the furthest. It's like the furthest away you could probably be, by still, but still in the state. So, oh, of course, figures. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. But I'll All look right. forward to seeing you on June, June 8th, I think, or whenever our next episode I is. Think, yeah, so. I think it's early June. That, that's when and you guys I, are recording. I feel like we talked about some kind of like um, word puzzle game contest that we were going to do at some point. I, I still feel that that needs to happen. Ooh, maybe that can be our I feel like one of our episodes that we talked about, we were going to do that, but... I don't know how to make that happen. We'll figure it out. All right, yeah. we're going to figure that out. Ooh, now I'm, I'm jealous I'm going to miss that episode. <laughs> All <laughs> right, well, Texas. now it's a teaser. Everybody is so excited. I know. All right, ladies. Okay. Well, it has been a pleasure. Um, yes. We miss you, Jennifer. I miss y'all, too. We absolutely do. But you're, she's still around. That's why we brought her back. Yes. She can't get rid of us. <laughs> Always here. Awesome. All right. Thank you again. And we'll talk to y'all later. Yeah. Bye. Bye. The Career Bitches are eternally grateful to our producer, Joe Tropea at Harry Cover Films, based in beautiful Baltimore City, for his bullshit free feedback and constant support. We would also like to thank Micro Kingdom for their musical genius and providing our theme music. You can check out more of their extra cognitive spiritual magnetism at microkingdom.com. A new episode of Career Bitches drops every Monday morning to start your work week. And you can listen to us bitch on demand on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you find your podcasts. <laughs>